John, did you hear about basketball? Basketball's happening. Basketball's back. John, are you hearing what? about what? basketball? Yes, uh, explain, basketball's back. Explain to me this basketing ball. Who <laughs> <Is> the... <laughs> amongst us is not a joy a game of basketing balls? <laughs> I'm from Massachusetts, Greg. Of course, we know our basketball. We, we're oh, the yeah. home of basketball. Oh yeah, I'm glad you got into the accent early, John. It'll it'll factor into this movie. We're about to start. <laughs> but we're not we're not the, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. No, John. Back in I believe it was the year was 1903. It was mm-hmm. a, the August in August age. <laughs> and one Ian Nate Smith, you know, a, a local proprietor of the uh, of a Young Man's Christian Association. Mm-hmm. Decided, hey, here's a fun game. Why don't we throw a ball into a basket? Um, a peach a basket, basket, I believe. Yes. 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 Um, Why there are so many peaches in Massachusetts? I have no idea. <laughs> well, because we can't grow anything in Massachusetts. So, Tops Field would beg to differ. Okay. <laughs> what are they? What are they growing in Tops Field, John? They got pumpkins. They got rutabagas. <laughs> Any anything you grow in the ground, Topsfield will uh, go, oh, that we got oh, for you. What am I gonna? Oh, they, they're gonna start seven rutabagas at Dunkin'. Come on, <laughs> rutabaga flavored coffee. It's great. Yeah, you gotta try uh, it. Give just me dump a just dump a rutabaga right. In give your me coffee. a rutabaga colada. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, basketball. Back to basketball. Yes, basketball. yes, and uh, basically. From the from these humble origins, it's it's blossomed into a global phenomenon with the help of ESPN. Um, oh, okay. Who knew Who knew there was so much news going on in the NBA while ESPN is covering and has exclusive or not exclusive, but has uh, primary rights to uh, broadcast NBA games? Who knew? Is this like an ABC? Is this a Disney thing? I assume everything ESPN does is for Disney's bottom line. So I assume oh yeah, like, I mean oh like ABC also premieres you know basketball games or whatever. So. Yeah, I well yeah, and not to point out that. ABC, Disney, or sorry, the Disney Corporation is the only company that does this. God knows there's enough synergy going around in the in the Comcast um, Universal NBC Trust or whatever the hell that is. Okay, <laughs> but um, I it it really boils my blood this week because it's going to be the premiere of uh, the latest ESPN documentary, Basketball: Colon, A Love Story. Oh, yeah, sweet, Greg. You got your four quadrants. You got sports. You've got romance. <laughs> Got something for That's young and old. Budget. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, John, because they got they managed to sit down with all these legends of the sport: uh, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Julius Irving, Diana Taurasi, Lisa Leslie. Again, everybody. Why did a I laugh tapestry. when you ne- mentioned a woman's name? That's bad. I'm so bad. I'm a horrible person. I'm sorry, John. That's W. That's multiple WNBA and national champion Diana Taurasi. Okay, she's a legend. I know. I well, I know she's probably a legend, but again, I don't. I don't. Well, I don't care for basketball. Period. Basketball is okay. boring sport. Oh, ne- neither do I. But the reason this rankles me is because ESPN has this now, has this whole, has created this whole, uh, brazenly, openly, and annoyingly <laughs> created this whole atmosphere around like around the NBA, and about ninety percent of it takes place off the court. The current, the current uh, news news item that's rankling uh, the the NBA Twitterverse and, and internet uh, basketballers right now is that uh, star player Jimmy Butler is demanding a trade and disrupting practices and, and mm. calling calling out ownership in, in the news. And that's SMH. SMH. Exactly. Friend. Yeah. I'm shaking I'm shaking my head as well because ninety five percent of this crap always takes place like off the court and it's always like, Did you hear what LeBron James said? Yeah. <laughs> or I do there was a place they used to go for lunch, they closed down and they always had ESPN playing Good. and I noticed in the morning show. <laughs> 
in the morning shows, they would always have, like, you know, not the Stephen A. Smith, like, first take, but yeah. a show very reminiscent of it. And it seemed like it was dedicated just to basketball or something like that. And it was always like, what, do they have the personality? Do they have the temperament to really fit in? <laughs> yeah, and th- again, because they have to goose basically storylines <laughs> and other things. It's basically WWE, except um, yeah. what's actually <laughs> happening is uh, it's supposed to be spontaneous. Don't forget, this is a sport 15 years ago that literally rigged games. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget when the refs were gambling on games. Yeah. So but their the, draft is decided by a lottery. Yeah, <laughs> great. So the fact that people have just fallen for this ruse of the NBA, is it just annoys me. And also, just to reveal my biases, it's because I'm a huge hockey fan, and I'm annoyed that less pe- that fewer people enjoy hockey <laughs> compared to basketball. So Hockey has every... Again, we're showing our Boston roots. Yeah. Uh, hockey has everything basketball doesn't. You know, it's on ice. They've got yeah. goals. They've got yeah. pads. It's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Ninety-eight percent of the players are uh, not not people of color. So, oh, I wasn't gonna go there, but okay. <laughs> Greg, just well, no, I mean, yeah. It's, if if I can pull it back to something positive, yes, basketball is very inclusive. Um, in spite of the fact that you need to be a genetic, uh, <laughs> a, a genetic uh, blessing to, to have the height, have a height over six foot two to actually play basketball, but. Mm. Um, yeah, it's accessibility, and yes, I can understand uh, if you have this uh, this deep yearning affection and in your loins for basketball. However, I'm not I'm not falling for it. ESPN, you can't fool me. And no, nope. your your ESPN Plus, which is their new subscription service. <laughs> oh no, yeah, <laughs> the gall the gall to do that when they charge you eight dollars on your on your on your cable bill. <laughs> That's mm. what most of it goes to. Uh, <laughs> the fact that they have the gall to charge a monthly fee for additional content and then put hockey on there is is just a bridge too far. So what I'm oh, saying is oh, bring... oh, it's because they put ho- they put hockey on there. So Greg can't yes. watch it. Okay, exactly. that's why. <laughs> Greg has skin in this game. Ex- yes, give me give me my hockey. All right. I want it I want it prime time Sunday night. I want the I want the Vegas Golden Knights against my Boston Bruins. All right. The bees, I got to crush them. <laughs> Tuka is going to be a st- is going to be a brick wall in that. <laughs> Well, it's it's finally happened. Aspiring Snobs is now a sports podcast. It, yeah. it happened slow enough that you didn't even notice. Exactly. Now, now for our thoughts on kneeling foot, kneeling players. John, why do they hate the flag so much? I mean, <laughs> why do they hate the troops? I don't yeah. understand it. They fought mm-hmm. for their freedoms. Exactly. Because if there's one thing black people associate with America, it's freedom. Yes. <laughs> As well they should. I mean, America gave them their freedom, so... <laughs> Oh, too dark. We're getting too dark. I know, dark. yeah, we're getting too dark, yes. <laughs> Welcome to the Aspiring Snobs podcast. This is nominally a movie podcast. However, we're pivoting to sports. <laughs> yes, pivoting, slowly uh, Yeah, because again, we're Bostonites, and we see how popular EEI is, so... <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, we'll make a yeah. Just drop in a few um, racially coded language. Well, not even coded. Just <laughs> straight up. Uh, just straight up. Straight places. up bigoted jokes. Yeah. <laughs> Look, Mad Dog needs to. We need to fill that Mad Dog void. That's what we need to do. Yeah. <laughs> No, John. Come on. Mike and the Mad Dog weren't uh, weren't racist, at least openly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. What Mike would do would like nod along and maybe laugh at Imus's jokes, but that's as bad as he got. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. But no, this week we decided to revisit uh, a little a little forgotten gem from the '90s. I'd say. How hmm. would you How would you describe this movie, Greg? Uh, I would say not a forgotten gem, but definitely uh, one that I I feel like uh, completes the magical year that was 1994. This is a year that saw the Shawshank Redemption, 
Pulp Fiction, obviously, uh, Forrest Gump, which is obviously a huge, the, the massive popular hit that went on to win Best Picture. But you may not know mm-hmm. another nominee from this year. Mm-hmm. Yes, because this week we watched Robert Redford's Quiz Show. No, Herb, it's a hell of a thing. I'm looking at the thing today. You know, mm-hmm. the Trend X rating? Yeah. Well, it's a damnish thing. But you plateaued. Plateaued? What, what kind of word is that? Well, plateaued? Plateaued. Plateaued? Uh, it's, well, it's like a... You, you mean like people you, don't like me anymore? No, no, no. It's not you per se. It's just... Maybe I should get my teeth cut. No, it's, it's the nature of the show. They've already seen you win, and they want something new. So what are you saying? You think they want me to lose? Well... Don't you think that's natural? Joe Lewis was the champ for 12 years. Nobody ever wanted Joe Lewis to live. Think about the cause of education. Cause of education? I waited 29 years for this. Now I'm supposed to take a dive for the cause of education? I didn't say take a dive. Now I'm asking you for your help. Fine. Just let me play it honestly. And will you please keep your voice down? Go ahead. Give me a number. Give me a number. Excuse me, sir. Give me a number. A, a, A random number. I don't know, 23? Beethoven was 23 when he composed his first piano sonata. In 1923, Jack Bentley set the record for average by a pitcher batting 427. There are 23 chromosomes in the human egg. Herb, I also, want... the human sperm. 23rd President Benjamin Harrison. Asian countries along the 23rd parallel... Look, don't stop believing your own bullshit, all right? You wouldn't know the name of Paul Revere's horse if he took a crap on your lawn. She? That's got to give it a dramatic Which... line reading. Quiz yeah. show. By the way, if you're complaining that it's October and we're not doing any Halloween movies, screw you. (laughs) All right? We don't like scary movies. We don't like Halloween, so... We did that last year. Come on. What do you want from us? Yeah, we did a whole bonus episode on our favorite Halloween movies. (laughs) And maybe we'll have an audio commentary track. (laughs) John, don't tease tease them. We know it may not happen. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) But yes, uh, I really only knew this film by, again, like kind of forgotten reputation i i haven't really heard a lot about it it's not really in the cultural conversation i just knew it as kind of like an above average middle brow you know fair that gets nominated for a few oscars and then kind of like dissipates in everyone's memories but i i would say it also fits in on that kind of a basic cable you know mid-afternoon movie um similar along i think the closest analogous film we can compare this to is apollo 13 like a tasteful but also like exciting gripping rip from not not exactly rip from the headlines but rip from the history based book on story. a true story <laughs> yeah rip from the history book story um from the 50s and 60s that appeals to kind of that has um kind of you meant you referenced it earlier the four quadrant like okay it gets the the previous generation the baby boomers who may have actually you know remembered this or experienced this event firsthand um and then and the new young and it draws in the new younger generation with some exciting exciting film techniques so okay and also directed by everyone's your dad's favorite actor robert yeah. Redford. <laughs> well don't, don't say that it's it's certainly our dad's favorite actor um <laughs> our father loves robert redford mm-hmm. um, um which I don't know, like what, I, I haven't looked up his CV. What is it, what is his directing credits like, and what drew? Well, I have a sneaking suspicion what drew him to this material, but what? Yeah. What? Why Robert Redford? Oh, why? Why him for this? Yeah. Why? This just no. Why? Material? Why does he exist? Why? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you read uh, a memoir by uh, the great William Goldman, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he exists because he got lucky uh, if, with a casting director <laughs> and. Um, Got Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. That's if you ask William Goldman. Okay. <laughs> this kid, he never That's... paid his dues. Let me tell you. <laughs> no, the the I believe the exact quote was, uh, "Go to a beach in in Southern California. You'll find twenty Robin Redfords." <laughs> wow. Ouch. Which, ouch. Yeah. <laughs> Burn. Yeah. Which uh, stings me, but I. 
yeah, he hasn't really um, cut his teeth on a lot of. Well, really, he he came onto the scene with eventual Best Picture winner Ordinary People. Oh, just kind of a tasteful, tasteful family drama. Um, really rankled, I believe, cinephiles and other film snobs because it beat out Raging Bull that year oh. for not only Best Picture but also Best Director. Okay. Um, leaving Mar- Marty Scorsese without an Oscar for another two decades. But that's really where he cut his teeth, and he's done kind of uh, tasteful drama since then. But what I, I really like about this movie, because um, I'd seen it before, you hadn't, mm-hmm. and um, what's and what ties it back to those other like kind of tasteful historical dramas that appeal to boomers, uh, you know, kind of thrilling, gripping stories from the 50s and 60s, is that it does reflect maybe the turbulence of the time of the filmmakers when they were growing up. Mm. Um, I'm thinking what really initiated this genre was JFK. Uh. And that's a movie where, yes, you could have done it, you know, tastefully and tactfully, you know, <laughs> wide angle, like let's capture like like longer takes, let's capture, let's maybe make the filmmaking reflective of what it was like in the, in the uh, mid sixties. Mm-hmm. Um, but what Oliver Stone does tremendously talented and a bit kooky as he is, mm. um, <laughs> You know, cuts quick cuts in. You know the documentary footage, handheld camera work, uh, uh, really long lenses. You know, quick dollies in, mm-hmm. and um, Robert and Robert Redford certainly d- does touches of that here, and it's definitely brought to its epif- uh, its epitome in Apollo thirteen, I think, where they actually committed to you know shooting in tight, claustrophobic uh, environments in in zero gravity. So, mm. I do like that it's taking what co- uh, a really gripping story and also using the filmmaking to bring it to its highest possible potential. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm I'm mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting to hear that you thought that way. I thought the the style was a little staid, but again, it kind of fits the story because the story is let's be honest, relatively low stakes. <laughs> They're cheating at a yeah. game show. <laughs> John, it's about the American people, yes, right? yes. and they're being lied to, blatantly lied to. That's never happened before. <laughs> I know. Well, no, it's like what I like is that they tie it back into the theme. Um, I was getting a lot of hints of uh, uh, Hail Caesar, the uh, Coen Brothers movies from a few years ago, which is again this kind of interesting juxtaposition where this TV show slash movie studio wants to represent something for the American people, how do they do that? Oh, by doing the exact opposite. So the whole theme of the film is the fact that um, they, they're, they're cheating at this game, that they are selectively mm-hmm. picking winners, that they want to do these you know weeks-long winning streaks. And they justify to themselves, it's like, well, we're giving people optimism. We're giving people, we're giving people excitement about the educational it's just system. Entertain- yeah, it's just entertainment. Yeah. Um, but again, it's like it's trying to present this larger ideal theme. Like, part, like the first uh, major winner, or shall we say, like first person we get introduced to as the kind of uh, as the uh, as the person that they're goosing that they want to win mm-hmm. is uh, Herbie Stempel. I'm sorry, <laughs> Herbie Stempel, <laughs> played by the uh, venerable John Tutorial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in his most medic mode. <laughs> He's um, only more medic in the Transformers movies. Um, <laughs> also, I think I believe he put on a little weight for this role. I think authentically. Uh, How could you tell? He was wearing the suit from the Talking Heads. Stop making sense. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll, we'll we'll table that discussion on the fashion later. Um, <laughs> okay. Yes, just to get, just to give put the put a picture of the film in your mind. Um, imagine everybody is about seven years old, and everybody's clothes are too big for them. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> no, but the whole idea is that, you know, they, they give him the answers. They want him to win because he does have this kind of, like, low-class, everyman quality, and the audience really sees themselves in him. 
and then eventually that kind of flips he plateaus in the ratings and it's like all right we need to bring fresh blood in and who do they bring in they bring in uh the venerable ralph fines <laughs> be still my heart playing charles van doren <laughs> and a wonderful wig on him <laughs> great wig work there <laughs> And he, the great thing is he doesn't even have to cover his British accent so much because he's playing the waspiest wasp yeah. who's ever wasp. <laughs> so he's like, Duddy. <laughs> exactly. Uh, to add to the, the real-life Shakespearean drama that was this scandal back in the late 50s, uh, he was the son of Mark Van Doren, uh, the poet laureate of uh, America, mm-hmm. back when poets had some uh, renown. <laughs> Yeah, that was the other weird thing. It was like, is this an exclusively New York thing, or were people in the 50s really this cultured? Like, come on. Well, no, <laughs> not exactly like... cultured, but starved, starved for entertainment, and so they did turn to, to poetry and oh, panel, okay. panel shows. Yeah. Um, so right. in terms of the dramatic stakes, yes, uh, we don't know this yet, but Herbert Stempel, uh, Herb Stempel is a, <laughs> a, a middle-class guy from Queens, on the other side of the tracks, and... Um, <laughs> Queens and, is in New York. Yeah, and very, very Jewish. And, um, he's on this winning streak, but he's rankled that um, he is going to be basically taken off the show in favor of this uh, upper upper class wasp um, played mm-hmm. by Ralph Fiennes. And so um, he, unfortunately, he um, not unfortunately, unfortunately for the studio, uh, maybe thankfully for uh, co- uh, the congressional investigator, who we'll talk about later. Um, mm-hmm. He starts he starts talking like he can't he can't believe the injustice. Like he thought he was going to get more opportunities in in television following this. Um, he thinks mm-hmm. it's unfair, um, to which. Um, not exactly true. That um... <laughs> exactly like in the hypocrisy. I think that also yeah. makes the story quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so he starts uh, talking to everybody with the near shot that uh, the show is rigged, and of course nobody mm-hmm. believes him because he is a, he is a bit of a crackpot, as I explained later. Um, he is he is I wouldn't say well again crackpot, but definitely he, certainly a character. Yeah, he comes off as so manic. Uh, it doesn't take long for the studio executives to kind of discredit him because they like offer him, hey, why don't you go see an analysis? You know, why don't you go see this guy? And then they point yeah. to that. It's like, look, he's clearly crazy. <laughs> like he has to go see analysis. You. Yeah, that's that's an old timey term for psychology. Guys. <laughs> well, I was going to say, why didn't you say analyst? <laughs> that, whatever. <laughs> I'm, 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 Shut up! <laughs> oh, you oh, you meant to say it that way? Okay. Yeah, I can I can say I can say it however I want. Okay. It's America. Okay. okay. Screw you! I don't like that. Clearly, your brain is still infected by Arrested Development, and you wanted to call him an anal- an, a, a, an analysis <laughs> and a therapist. The world's therapist. first analyst. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you walk around with a tape recorder? Yeah, listen to yourself. So. Oh. What do you know about this grand jury investigation, Charlie? Oh, I remember Dad mentioned something about this, but it was all some, some wild goose chase. No, a political thing. They talk so fast in that business, and half of it goes right past me. Damn. And right. He's really the one to talk to. You know if he testified? Uh, uh, more water. Uh, you can reach him at NBC. Dan Enright. So, how long have you been with this committee, Dick? Six months. Mm-hmm. Seemed like a good way to postpone the inevitable. Postpone the inevitable. Uh, is there a spot for me? I mean, Wall Street. Oh. <laughs> so, back to this uh, grand jury business. I'm wondering... Dad! Well, that, that's what I found fascinating is the whole kind of conspiracy aspect to it. The fact that they sent, referred him to a shrink 
and mm. actually did record a conversation where like on, on you know we see it we see it first from herb's perspective um where it looks like uh the studio executive played by kevin pollack it is kevin pollack right uh no, it's David Palmer. Oh, there, there it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're pretty much the same guy. I yeah. think it's like a Tyler Durden. Thing. Yeah. Well, not quite a Tyler Durden thing because they're legit the exact same person. <laughs> yeah. But it's Mister Enright, great, great villain name again, just lending mm-hmm. to the, the great, uh, great mm-hmm. story like quality that this whole scandal had. Mister Enright, the villain is Mister Enright, uh, <laughs> and his right hand man played by Hank Azaria. Yeah. See, that's the that's the other great thing about these kind of like uh, mid tier like dramas. Like that always, like they're just a great showcase for all these character actors. Mm-hmm. Like, w- w- I'll I'll soak in any opportunity to see these people. Just you know, <laughs> I mean they're slumming it, but I mean yeah. again they're making it look easy. Mm-hmm. But anyway, what I was saying about kind of the conspiracy aspect is that we first see it from Herb's perspective, but then later he plays it to the congressional um, the congressional investigator, and yeah, it looks like Herb is uh, is not the most uh, savvy or um, innocent character here. <laughs> No, it, it, they frame it to make it look like they're trying to blackmail him, yeah. uh, blackmail the studio or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to tell you it's rigged. Like, well, he's telling the truth, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> given the context of it. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm glad you brought up the great kind of character actors that fill this, because there aren't really stars in this movie. Again, we have Ralph Fiennes, who's, again, a great, great villain who's proven his, uh, his villainous <laughs> chops over the years. Uh, John mm-hmm. Totoro, excellent character actor. Paul Schofield is fantastic <laughs> as uh, the stentorian uh, Mark, Mark Van Doren. Um, yep. However, John, we have a big problem here. Oh, no. Yes. This, I, know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. Christopher McDonald is not in this movie <laughs> enough. That is another he's huge problem, right too. His, yes. He's working right in his wheelhouse, a TV presenter. That's what he was born to do. Exactly. <laughs> or also being an upper uh, upper crust waspish guy. Uh, <laughs> more famous for his role as Shooter McGavin, maybe. Um, exactly. <laughs> but no, John, it, it appears that we have a black hole here. <laughs> At the center black. of this movie, we got a black, squinty-eyed, curly-tail hole <laughs> that's just oh. sucking all the life and charisma out of the movie, John. Craig, his his perfect averageness is what makes him <laughs> the ideal hero to crack this case wide open. Okay, because he 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 disengages you with his blandness <laughs> and his terrible low rent JFK accent. <laughs> well, what I didn't know, this is actually based on a memoir. Um, okay. So who we're talking about is Rob Darrow, as or yeah, I got it. Oh God, I knew I would fuck it up. <laughs> mm. That just shows how unmemorable he is. <laughs> Rob Morrow. What we're talking about is Rob Morrow as Richard Dick Goodwin, um, the congressional mm-hmm. investigator, whose sole motivation seems to be like I, we want to put television on trial. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a little nebulous there, like what exactly he means, other than I think that's why it also appeal why the story appealed to Hollywood so much is like yes, we'll take down we'll take down television, um, our our main competition, and movies will win the day again. Well, it also you know it's obviously this is Robert Redford's story, so obviously it's like yes, big government wins again, yeah. regulations, <laughs> that's what it's about. But I didn't. I've forgotten that this was based, or at least didn't realize the first time I saw it, that this is based on uh, the real Dick Goodwin's memoir called "Remembering America: Colin, A Voice mm-hmm. from the '60s." <laughs> okay. Yeah. So he really should be cast as like the crusader in this. Like he should really be the at the center of the movie and have, I think, kind of better 
better motivation for really pursuing this, um, I guess, what is really a, a harmless fraud, but, you know, mm -hmm. maybe effect, wants to speak and speak on behalf of the contestants, um, wants to speak for, say, the integrity of television as a, as a powerful medium. Uh, so I, I, there is that issue. <laughs> that, mm -hmm. That's, a, that's kind of the character motivation stuff. But the other problem is, as I clearly imitated earlier, <laughs> <laughs> is that Rob Morrow is trying to do a, a Boston accent, you know, trying to be from Brookline, just like the real, the real Dick Goodwin. And he does, he doesn't quite nail it. And it takes that out of the movie immediately. <laughs> I didn't think it was that bad. I wasn't no, too distracted. I just, by no, it, I, but... no, I was, I like, get him off screen. Get me, get me John Turturro and Ralph Fiennes again. All right. There's a reason they have careers. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of appreciate when um, you have a character who's not terribly invested. He, uh, like, again, like going back to, well, I don't know why again. Um, like, you could compare this to like Spotlight, which is kind of a very a, a film in a very similar vein, where it's mm -hmm. they go into it not really, you know, trying to prove anything, just you know, again being a good investigator, and maybe it won't lead anywhere. But once they kind of uncover the seedy underbelly, it's like that's when they get invested. So I do kind of appreciate that. But you're right. It's like. The other weird thing is that they keep like trying to input his wife as like kind of like a counterpoint. Well, I think... she's only in like two scenes, and like the weird kind of moral gray area that enters for him is uh, he he inevitably wants to put uh, Van Doren on trial, which he just wants to kind of like get out of this. He did his winning streak. He kind of threw his last game, and he's like, "All right, I you know now he gets a cushy." television presenter job and he's just gonna mm -hmm. like retire go back to teaching you know he's he's out of it mm -hmm. and you know he's a decent stand-up guy so you know why <laughs> why would we ruin his life <laughs> so like that's and his wife is like no you gotta bring him to trial it's like they they kind of interject the wife whenever they need him to like be a dramatic moment but the wife's not really a character she's just there to kind of be like no you need to do this and uh, i didn't and, really appreciate well, that I, especially for a movie that has no female characters in exactly it, yeah much. i think that's the main impetus for it it's because this movie is basically a packet of Wonder Bread. Um, <laughs> if you look at the cast, it is solely it is solely older white men. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, she's played by Mira Servino too, um, Dick Goodwin's wife. So and she's only mm -hmm. in two scenes, basically. You know, I guess elicit that like domestic drama, like oh, it's making an impact at home to kind of raise the stakes. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that too. <laughs> and um, it it really felt a little distasteful when we see scenes of Herb Stemple and his wife. Yeah. <laughs> Because she, he, it, in terms, he's not a savory character anyway. I mean, he's obviously initially painted that way, but he he insults his wife relentlessly. Um, no, yeah, they're like I feel like their relationship is played for laughs, like how like bad this marriage is. Yeah. Oh, it's like I think they literally reference the honeymooners. Like that's exactly. It's because with going into like Herb's backstory, you know part of his reasoning for going on this game show is because he kind of lives under the thumb of his mother-in-law. The mother-in-law kind of provides for them financially. Yes. He can't provide and for his own family. Yeah. As a man should. <laughs> well, also because it's implied that he's a relentless gambler. Um, oh, and that's okay. why he's under the thumb of his uh, his in-laws, is because um, mm. he's in debt from gambling. Gotcha. I, and as a reference later, in the big twist, um, Dick Goodwin is crusading. He's he's asking around. Uh, I think he tries to get in with the head of NBC, even though he's told no 50 times by the secretary. Like, no, he's not in. No, he's not available. And mm -hmm. um, it looks like he's got a crack in the case, or uh, doesn't. Or I, I believe finally, like, Congress calls him back. Like, you've you, you ring up this hotel bill in New York City. Like... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> investigating something as as a uh, as trivial as a fraud on a TV game show. <laughs> mm-hmm. So like, what what are you doing? Like, come on, come on back. And that's when Herb drops a bombshell. I I know that Van Doren is uh receiving the answers because I received the answers. <laughs> exactly. And it's kind of the perfect. I mean, just. It's it's amazing that the story wasn't told in a big you know grand Hollywood fashion like this before. Kind of that perfect middle act twist. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But that that said, I, I think we should say that it is an ex- with the Herb Stemple character. It's not exactly cartoony, but it is definitely performative, and and that's what really draws you in. I think is the uh, how the great contrast between these two characters. And well, he's a it's a Jew and a Gentile. Yeah. <laughs> like that was another that was another formulation for the game show is you know they'd let a Jew win for a few weeks and yeah. then they switch over to a Gentile. Yeah, <laughs> which they they touch upon but never really delve into. Um, mm-hmm. At one point, uh, he, Rob Morrow's character does confront the studio ads with like uh, Herbert Semple said something crazy about like they always have a they always let a Jew win and then follow it with a Gentile and that goose's ratings and they all laugh mm-hmm. it off and then he says I looked it up and it's true. <laughs> um, but they didn't they. I thought he would cite some evidence, maybe, but he he doesn't. So, mm. really, the break of the case, uh, and also to kind of introduce another like little element, another hugely successful uh, contestant on the show was uh, an artist from uh, Greenwich Village, <laughs> <laughs> also touching on like cultural touchstones of the '60s, <laughs> and he he basically corroborates that yes, I received all the answers because I have an uh, I mailed myself the answers um, that they gave me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he would have it postmarked so that they mm-hmm. know, like, you know, so you have a date attached to it so they know he didn't forge it. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition well, to video evidence, like, um, he gives the correct answer when they assume that he would give the wrong one. And uh, <laughs> and Christopher McDonald does a great uh, double take, like, with his, with his pearly whites, like, what? Oh, wait, oh, wait, what? oh you, you did got say it right. <laughs> that is kind of the weird thing is, like, again, they tried their hardest to, like, rig the game, but mm-hmm. they couldn't 100% guarantee it. And especially in the early scenes, there is this kind of tension that I wish they kind of had in the back half, which is, are they going to say the right answer? Are they going to say the wrong answer? Because both of them, Herb and uh, Van Doren, are put in this scenario where Herb is told to take a dive. He knows the right answer. It would be embarrassing if he got this right answer. Come on, who doesn't know who won Best Picture in 1955? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, that's that's the other thing. Like, two years ago, and I was actually... I did want to put out a poll, like, just to the general public. Like, without looking it up, do you know what won the Oscar for Best Picture two years ago? Um, but it's especially embarrassing for him because it's one of his favorite movies, Marty, and it tells mm-hmm. a very similar story to his about uh, a working-class Jewish guy um, trying mm-hmm. to find love in, in Queens. So, exactly. So there's that kind of um, yeah. There is like a added level to of embarrassment to it. Exactly. And then with Van Doren, it's the exact opposite. It's like they kind of seeded the answer to him. Mm. Uh, like intentionally in conversation and then when you know it that's his final question so and again it's it's the same tension you know he's sweating bullets is like do i give the right answer do i give the wrong answer this doesn't feel right um i wish they kind of could bring that back to the conclusion because the conclusion is just you know that big courtroom scene where van duren eventually comes down and does the right thing and admits yes i received mm-hmm. the answers and ruins his reputation his oh his reputation is so sullen <laughs> oh no <laughs> yeah i mean how we how had bunny's god and potty this weekend and we won't be able to show our faces <laughs> John, i mean he's just a rich white man in america like what will he do now <laughs> you never told me you felt pressure you know um I'm finishing a book. Oh, are you kidding? 
When I was finishing the Hawthorne book, I tossed and turned so badly, your mother threatened to check into a hotel. Oh, sure. <laughs> you know, I think the old bird's finally getting the hang of this. You know, I, I just had the strongest memory. Coming home from school, going to the fridge, ice cold bottle of milk, big piece of chocolate cake. It's just the simplicity of it. I can't think of anything that'll make me feel that happy again. Not till you have a son. I mean, I do... There is one component of the movie I did find really interesting, and that's the Van Doren family dynamic. Even though it is brazenly cartoonish how wasp I, not, like... not Again, I, I wouldn't say it's as cartoonish. I, if, anything, if anything, I would say real, true to life, on how these people actually are. <laughs> I mean, when we go summering in Connecticut, we always quote Shakespeare back and forth to each other. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, it's not exactly... uh, Okay, (laughs) I'm glad that the story at least, like, acknowledges class, like, how important that is to this, to the story, and how the TV producers really wanted to portray, uh, or, sorry, uh, grab the public with uh, maybe a more aspirational figure, um, Mm -hmm. rather than a middle-class person that more reflected their general audience. Uh, That said... I, th- I think it doesn't quite work with the Rob Morrow character because, as they mention often and make fun of him for, the real Dick Goodwin was top of his class in Harvard Law School. Um, mm-hmm. He's as much as a wasp as the Van Dorn family is. <laughs> but we yeah, do get but you this... wouldn't assume that about him. I think that's the that's yeah, the main in spite of the, yeah, point. in spite of the working class accent or whatever <laughs> whatever he's trying to put on. <laughs> He does. There is a scene where he goes to again. What are the, what are these summer in Connecticut affairs? One of these box socials with the, with the families from the club. <laughs> <laughs> and I I think it's supposed to contrast this uh, congressional investigator again guy working kind of a I I wouldn't call it a middle class job but definitely a middling job probably not worthy exactly. of the guy who's at the top of his class at Harvard. He should be a lobbying firm making millions. <laughs> exactly a glamorous job. Yeah. Let's call it what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know Washington. No one, no one goes there for the glamour. No, <laughs> it's Hollywood for ugly people. Um, but that scene, it seems to kind of contrast. He's still wearing his suit and tie, uh, whereas everybody else is wearing like shorts and like knit sweaters around their around their shoulders. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I mean, there is an interesting dynamic between him and his father because there's this whole idea that it's like, oh, he's going to be a professor just like his dad. He's going to be a poet laureate just like his dad, and you can tell he wants to kind of weave his own path he wants to worm his way out of it and how does he do that like he goes on a game show you know like mm-hmm. his parents don't even own a television so they don't even like this is just something completely foreign to them and it's also weird that he like again talking about class he's like well i earned that money it's like well no you didn't you cheated <laughs> but also you're on a game show <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the one thing they they kind of brush by because um they introduce him he he's at one of these like you know upper crust parties like you know everybody's mm-hmm. enamored i think oh his father's just published his latest book or something mm-hmm. and but he's he's gripped he's glued to the television watching this quiz show and thinking like oh i could do that and you know he's really impressed with stumple too i do i do like that kind of mm-hmm. uh, element of the story as well. But the story actually starts when he tries out for Tic-Tac-Doe. <laughs> that is so, so true. <laughs> so I've, I've, I will uh, push back against your assertion that he's trying to get out of the shadow of his father by going on a quiz show. I think he's, he's not, I don't think he's exactly like forging his own path, um, but there is a, an element to him where he's working towards his father's approval. I guess that's true, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's definitely there's definitely some kind of 
a strayed, uh, strayed, um, some strained dynamic between the two that eventually mm-hmm. resolves when he admits, like, yes, I did cheat, and his father's like, I'm gonna come with you when you, you know, testify to. Yeah, they, they, they meet somewhere in the middle, and I thought that was kind of nice. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was pretty believable, regardless of you know all the over-the-top trappings of this, yeah. you know, waspy life. <laughs> yeah. And also credit to, it does remind me of uh, some of the great lines in the movie, and that's, a, I think, a big credit to screenwriter Paul Anastasio. Um, mm-hmm. Like, once, uh, one scene, like, again, it, it hasn't quite won his father's approval, um, and he's he's woken up in the middle of the night feeling guilty about his position, you know, basically defrauding TV audiences everywhere, you know, um, mm-hmm. pretending to be this uh, smart erudite guy. Well, he is, but, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretending to be a, a super genius on this quiz show. Um, and he says, um, you know, I, I, he mentioned something where, like, he's he's feeling, he felt, like, particularly prideful, and then his father says, like, you know, in th- that great subtextual way, like, wait till you have a son, you know, <laughs> and mm. <laughs> it's like, finally, you know, in spite of the guilt he had, the scene concludes, like, okay, but he's finally won his father's approval. So there's that great there's that great scene and also um he gets on the Today show in the middle of his winning streak. And um <laughs> he's he's mentioning that he's working on a book on, about Lincoln. And um <laughs> I love that the interviewer uh, I'm not sure if this is true to life, but the interviewer says, like, how do you think honest Abe would do <laughs> on the <laughs> exactly. show? And uh Ralph Fiennes does a or sorry, <laughs> Charles Van Doren does a double take, like honest honest Abe. Like you had you had to frame it that way. <laughs> well it's just kinda of funny, it's like the other thing too is like the game show kind of absorbs his whole life. Like he mm-hmm. can't even go on public anymore because he's getting hounded. Like, give me an autograph. Yeah. You know, the, who's that? Who's that actor? Like, he looked familiar. The guy who kind of hounds him in the phone booth. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, okay. He's not on the cast list. On at least the front page of the cast list, I don't believe. But. Okay. All right. He he looked yeah. like a greaser straight out of Greece. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's where that's where you find him. <laughs> exactly. Um, but anyway, you know, he 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 can't like live a private life anymore. Now he's getting mm. hounded all the time. He's a celebrity, and again, like I do like that little line because again, yes, like it is kind of implying that it's like, yeah, you cheated, but also it's the fact that no one cares about anything you do besides the game show. Mm-hmm. Like he could write like a million books, and it's like to this day they'd be, still be asking like so what was it like being on 21 <laughs> well i also find it funny that the american public would become so enamored by him because if we do get that long scene at the on the lake you know at the lake house in connecticut <laughs> mm-hmm. um and at one point of again he hasn't kind of earned his father's approval and they have this kind of tete-a-tete or this game as uh the uh, mama van doren declares it um <laughs> where they just mm-hmm. quote sh- they test each other by quoting shakespeare and one another and um, yeah, I, I I wanted I I couldn't wait for ISIS to infiltrate the U.S. faster. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you're entertained by that, by by God, <laughs> I I, I could appreciate I could appreciate the Bard's verse as the next man, but <laughs> Greg, this was the '50s, okay? Like you said, they were starved for entertainment. <laughs> like, who do we put on cover the time time cover this month? Uh, who's that game show guy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, I believe Ken Jennings uh, also appeared on the cover of Time. <laughs> No, no way. Really? I, was, I don't know. But I, again, it was it, it was slow news back in the late uh, 2010s. So okay, all right. I assume it probably probably had to do something with Watson. I bet it was Watson related. Yeah, probably. I lied to the American people. I lied about what I knew, and then I lied about what I did not know. In a sense, I was like a child who refuses to admit a fact in the hope that it'll go away. Of course, it did not go away. I was scared.
scared to death. I have no solid position, no basis to stand on for myself. There was one way out, and that was simply to tell the truth. It may sound trite to you, but I've found myself again after a number of years. I've been acting a role, uh, maybe all my life, of thinking I've, I've done more, accomplished more, produced more than I have. I've had all the breaks. I have stood on the shoulders of life, and I've never gotten down into the dirt to build, to erect a foundation of my own. But yes, uh, final thoughts. Quiz show. <laughs> Good movie. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that's the thing about it. It's like tasteful. One thing it doesn't really do is it kind of challenge us in any way. I mean, yes, there's that, that big reveal that Herbert Stemple is, is not exa- was kind of complicit in this whole scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the whole theme, and I think kind of, uh, it, it kind of ends on a whimper with uh, Hank Azaria's character giving his testimony, like saying like, hey, this is just entertainment, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like what's, what's it really concluding to? Like, yes, Dick Goodwin does say he wants to put like television on trial. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it, it doesn't really explore what that means or, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't really show, I mean, I guess there is a shot over the end credits when they're doing the final title cards, you know, saying, where are they now? Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they do pan over uh, the live studio audience in the game show 21, and you know, it's kind of like that mirror thing, like, oh, it's 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 mirroring the, the movie audience, the movie yeah. theater audience. <laughs> so, you could say Festooned that, Festooned like, with a bummer version of Mac the Knife. <laughs> yeah. Because well, it's, it's it, the 50s. Yeah. <laughs> well, we started with the jaunty version of Knack the Knife, John. Now, now we're being exactly. uh, now we're being more reflective after, after this after this fraud. However, yeah. you you kind of wonder what it amounts to, and um, Hank Azaria's character does speak to that. So I wanted to kind of conclude with like, was was this really worth it? Like, does it matter that <laughs> um, a game show wasn't wasn't real as as real as advertised? Well, yeah. I mean, again, like for me, it goes back to that whole. Hail Caesar theme, the whole thing that I was trying to capture, which is like, in order for us to present American values, we need to do the exact opposite. And that like hypocrisy is just kind of an interesting paradox that I think is worth exploring. The fact that we're trying to espouse this virtue of you can make it in America by rigging the game and showing off that you can like do that is, I don't know, I just thought that was kind of curious. And I like the fact that it explored that theme a bit. Okay, I... Maybe if we could have seen maybe the stakes and impact a little bit more, like if mm-hmm. Herb Stemple or other contestants were like destitute because yeah, exactly. they got like chewed up and spit out, and it, like again, or like there was a <laughs> maybe they could have implicated Geritol, the primary sponsor for the quiz show 21. <laughs> oh uh, shit, we forgot our ad break. Uh, uh, we'll be right back with a message from our sponsor, Geritol. <laughs> Geritol. <laughs> Are do you your have Q t- zones properly aligned? <laughs> yeah, do you have tired blood or bad humors? <laughs> Are your bile's out of whack. <laughs> this will put gold in your blood, it will. <laughs> and we're back. Yeah. Maybe they could have implicated corporate malfeasance a little bit, because, again, this is literally, like, snake oil that was financing the show, so... Exactly. So if they could have touched on that a little bit more, uh, and... Yeah, maybe also like speak to because it's weird. It's weird that this uh, this Harvard lawyer is um, working for what looks like a like a the congressman behind like Texas's fifty first district or something like that. It's like, yeah. well, see here. <laughs> 
I know. So like, there's that weird thing where it's like the head of the studio executive or the head studio exec like golfs with one of the congressmen. Yeah. So it's like they show how buddy buddy they are and how much of a like theater this is. It's mm-hmm. like nothing's gonna really happen. Uh, I also did want to mention you mentioned uh, that ordinary people beat Raging Bull in 1980. Well, you know they they Robert Redford and uh, Martin Scorsese they 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 made amends because who's cast as the head of Pharmaceutical Incorporated in this company, Craig? In this of movie. course, of course, it's the inimitable Martin Scorsese, um, who has that just that soft but rapid patter. Like you know, <laughs> he perfect. doesn't get too he doesn't get too high, he doesn't get too low. He just talks and it gets right to the point. Yes. <laughs> so perfect casting there as well. This um, is masterclass. Yeah. <laughs> take a pause. He he like me needs to take a pause as he collects his thoughts. Um, <laughs> of course. That's the only that's the only quality that Martin Scorsese and I share. <laughs> Now, if you could only bumble and stumble as much as you do. Oh, uh, burn. Ouch. ouch. Yes. Sure so I'm, I'm kidding, Greg. I'm not trying to hurt you. <laughs> oh, not trying. <laughs> <laughs> well, you I'm not trying. I'm not saying I won't succeed. <laughs> I'm not trying to. <laughs> yeah, but otherwise, quiz show, good movie. <laughs> yeah, good movie. All right. Yeah. I mean, again, very tasteful kind of... Uh, uh, really, uh, I think its biggest appeal is to baby boomers. Um, but there, is, there is enough like kind of tension and excitement and entertainment even today. I mean, this yep. this movie celebrating its twenty fourth anniversary. Maybe we should have waited till next year. But yeah, <laughs> <Nah>, whatever. <laughs> but uh, it, I still think it'll compel audiences today. So go see it. <laughs> go see it. Um, and transition period. Blah blah blah. Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. I did. No, John. We need we need another ad break. Okay, you're right. You're right. Sorry. Okay, so you got tired blood, but John, you're not sleeping well. You need a mattress that comes straight to your door that's connected to an app that also is a subscription model um, that you can share with others. It's a monthly mattress subscription service. You get yeah. a new mattress every month. I know. It's worn out. I'm tired of it. I don't want it anymore. I know. I'll give it away <laughs> via the app. Exactly. Yeah. This app will remind you every month when to throw out your mattress. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're sl- just so busy. Yes. And with our promo code, ASNOBS18, you can get 18% off your next purchase for the year 2018. They di- they didn't go with my promo code. My suggested promo code was I'm dead inside. <laughs> so go to mattress.com slash I'm dead inside. <laughs> no, it's not mattress. John, John it's sleeper without the e. That's s e. Oh. That's s l double e p r. No e. No tr- no third e there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, they should have went s l p r sleeper. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Slip. Slurp. Yes, and it comes in an awesome box and explodes literally in your house. And you're th- and thought, ooh, this was a good use of eight hundred dollars. <laughs> And if you if you act now, you'll get free toothbrushes included in your package. <laughs> yes, <laughs> toothbrushes and shaving needs. All your toiletries <laughs> delivered right to your door. <laughs> Never leave the house again. Yes, with sleeper. Yes, and we look forward to having all those uh, toiletries and mattresses wind up in the Pacific Garbage Patch one day. <laughs> But hey, yes, time to it's time to get get back to being a little bit more genuine here, John. Okay, time to time to give a a true recommendation to mm-hmm. our fans out there in our signature segment, Spotlight. 
So, Greg, what I, I've, been, I've went first the past few weeks. Why don't you go first? Well, that's because um, a lot of the spotlights I've been doing have been pretty weak tea, if you ask me. Um, oh. And today I have the I have the weakest tea of all. Um, oh, we were making no. fun of um, <laughs> wasps in upper crust society. I'm going to prove my own um, waspish bona, fide, waspish bona fides by recommending mm-hmm. an article in the New Yorker. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Listen, I haven't asked. A lot, a lot of time to experience something new, okay? So, you know, I, it's Sunday afternoon. I just want to sit back and read my New Yorker, all right? <laughs> actually, this is great because, like, this is the first phase of it actually becoming, like, an Oscar-nominated movie. It's like, it's based <laughs> off an article in the New Yorker. It's based <laughs> off an article in the Atlantic. <laughs> well, uh, not quite, because um, it's not it's not a story or profile. Um, what it is is an exploration of elder care. You know, everybody's favorite topic. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. And everything turned out fine. <laughs> yes. They went it's, to go live in a farm upstate. <laughs> well, literally, John, you're not far off. It's not exactly oh, a, no. a farm, but it's uh, Chagrin Falls, Ohio, uh, <laughs> just outside of Cleveland. Um, I won't go into the, or at least I never exactly explored the origins of that name. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but the article is called The Memory House by Larissa McFarquhar. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, let me spell that last name. M-A-C-F-A-R-Q-U-H-A-R. Okay. Yeah. So v- very Gaelic, I'm assuming. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, this memory house. You should hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> or um, she had uh, parents of Irish and, uh, let's say, Lebanese descent. And, you know, okay. She, she decided to combine them. But anyway, <laughs> um, this is a profile of kind of the work they do at Chagrin Falls, this elder care home, particularly for patients with dementia. And yes, that's not a topic that all of us want to explore, um, but kind of a necessary one. And um, basically it starts out with some very heartbreaking portraits of the residents at this at this retirement at this retirement home mm-hmm. um, and how they de- how they're dealing with dementia however it does become slightly more cheerful when it delves into exactly like how we got to this place in elder care and you know kind of the strategies involved with it initially it started with kind of tough love um, <laughs> oh no <laughs> yeah um, because their the brains are degenerating you know memories are off it, they could really it initially started with like okay we have to confront them with reality <laughs> like exactly yes yeah. like most like the uh, most common affliction that seems to come up in this article is that they can't remember who their their spouses or loved ones are have passed away um mm-hmm. and so like the, the certain strategy would be and another one that a woman practices with her father today um is that like no mom is dead like you know and mm-hmm. kind of confront but this one takes place from a a uh, but what chagrin falls what they preach is more like kind of affirming this uh, per, the uh, residents reality so um you never ask them a question because the question will like again seem like immediately like put them to work put their um put their decaying brain to work and mm-hmm. i i'm trying to be more gentler in these terms but <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry if they don't immediately come to mind but like kind of force them and just elicit that irritability or confusion mm-hmm. whereas if you just start with general topics like the weather or you know and you know you kind of ease them into conversation and kind of um allow them to live with a little bit more dignity now granted you're Mm -hmm. coming up in situations where you know they may not their brain may be cast back to the past and they may not acknowledge what the actual weather is or that there are you know two different kinds of shoes on their feet or again Mm -hmm. that they don't know what family members of theirs are with them or exactly where they are so how they kind of strategize with that is you know, uh, like the big, the big example of kind of like affirming their reality, even if it is a little white lie, is the bus stop. 
Um, mm-hmm. They feel like, okay, a lot of them don't want to be there, so like, okay, let's get ready to go home. Um, so they just sit them down at this bus stop. They're anticipating a bus, but of course their brain will soon forget that they, uh, 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 why, they're, why there. they're there. Exactly. And, and a bus yeah. is never actually coming. Um, and then they kind of occupy them with something else in the day. So it's kind of, it enters into this debate, like, okay, are you like really gently affirming their reality or are you lying to them and just obfuscating mm-hmm. their current condition? Um, and it does, it doesn't really come down on that. It does conclude with a, a separate profile of a, of a retirement home in the Netherlands, um, which is trying to kind of, which doesn't have the fake bus stops. It doesn't exactly lie to the residents, um, <laughs> or again, uh, to be more positive, quote, affirm their reality. Um, but what it is doing is allowing them to kind of live, digni- live or continue to live out the last age stages of their life with dignity, um, with fountains and shops and things where they can, they're yeah. free to move about. The the safe is kind of, it's big enough and cordoned off enough where they feel kind of safe um, and can kind of live their lives. Now, granted, the other thing, the other important factor, I think, in these, because I have heard about these kind of retirement communities mm-hmm. and also making sure that they're decorated properly. Yeah. That they kind of, what they do is they try to recreate their kind of initial setting that their brains are kind of regressing to. So they're all adorned and festooned with like 1950s ephemera to make them feel like they're kind of in the present moment, at least in their own brains where they are. So that way, again, you don't get that cognitive dissonance where it's like a decade has passed and you don't even realize. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting story. Like I'm kind of familiar with it because mm-hmm. I have read articles or heard you know radio npr stories about these kind of retirement communities and this new technique of like instead of like trying to confront them with reality there's actually a great uh this america life story about that um where they were <laughs> oh oh to, just like just usurp me on my on, i you you called uh on the new yorker i raised the stakes with this american life <laughs> exactly <laughs> um you know, it's a couple who uh, had to move their mom in because, again, she's uh, suffering from dementia. Mm-hmm. And Greg, wouldn't you know it, they're two improvisers. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, yeah, they, and actually, uh, Larissa, the author, Larissa Mafarquat, um, she does reference that, like, you do have to be like an actor or improvise, like, how exactly? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it. She does reference the technique, yes, and like, you know, always continue exactly. with the, their reality. And yes, they do. I believe there are areas, not solely areas, in this uh, chagrin fill, uh, chagrin falls retirement home um where it does cast back to the 50s and 60s you know make them feel or at least put them wherever their brain may be in its regression Mm -hmm. um however Mm -hmm. she does point out that not everybody's at the exact same stage of dementia and that's the issue too and maybe not everybody has the exact same experience um Mm one she does profile an exercise where they're kind of relearning to write a little bit they're connecting the dots to you know um some some residents like can't even speak, much less um, kind of write out. Um, another resident who is probably in the early stages, like you know, just breezes through all these exercises. So that's the other issue you have, and exactly where where your residents are, and you know, are you going to modify your techniques to the different stages they are in, in terms of their um, illness? Mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very yeah. good article, and obviously the, okay. uh, a well trodden territory, as I'm learning now. <laughs> But yes, I mean, I'll breeze through it as I'm looking at the cartoons. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. That's why you love the New Yorker. I, I, yeah, I love the fiction. Actually, I love the short fiction. That's that's what I turn to immediately. But the poems, the poems are a little hit or miss. Yeah, but yeah. Yes, the New Yorker overall, yeah, good publication. Check no out. Mark Van Doren's. <laughs> that's that's for sure. <laughs> But no, the art, the article again is called the Memory House, and it is kind of fascinating, if if a uh, difficult territory to explore. So, okay, yeah. 
All right. Yeah. So that's my that's my week salsa <laughs> recommendation this week. <laughs> I hope you have something better for us, John. I have two lukewarm recommendations. So mm. <laughs> um, I finally got around to watching a, a Japanese animation television show uh, called One Punch Man. Oh, okay. This one this one I hear is a little bit more satirical. Yeah, so the the joke, the premise, uh, over-the-top kind of spoof uh, spoof or parody of superhero comics, uh, specifically like a Japanese kind of style of superhero comics, where Mm -hmm. our uh, synonymous character is named Saito, a.k.a. One Punch Man, where he's uh, become a superhero so powerful, so over-the-top strong, he can defeat any enemy with one punch. And I think my struggle with the show is that it is kind of, while it is very funny and it is kind of, when it when it hits it hits right but it is kind of sadly that one note joke where you know the villain will start monologuing or the villain will start like going into its final form you know as like this over the top you know huge spectacle starts happening mm-hmm. and then you know just one punch and then it'll just explode in a pile of blood <laughs> like something ridiculous yeah. like that and i do have to appreciate the kind of over the top nature of the show because it's like it's literally every episode like 19 city blocks get like leveled and everyone just goes about their day the next day it's like oh that didn't matter (laughs) well i thought a source of the humor was uh the whatever the guy's name you just mentioned it saito or saito Saito. Mm -hmm. his ennui the fact that he is so ridiculously overpowered he isn't he faces no challenges in life (laughs) like he just breezes through no yeah and what is also great is he eventually takes on a disciple. Uh, there's another um, superhero. Uh, I can't remember his name. Um, but he's a cyborg. That's basically his gimmick is that he's got, like, a robotic augmentation. And, you know, because he's a cyborg, he's also very, like, flat, very earnest, very literal. Mm-hmm. And so when, you know, Saito is uh, trying to describe his kind of, like, ennui, the fact that he's so overpowered, like, his response is just, like, blankness. Like, I don't understand. Like, his brain is <laughs> incapable of understanding, like... <laughs> <laughs> genuine ennui. Yeah, okay. I mean, and the, and when the show does kind of like dig into that territory, it does get very, very good. The first episode is actually, there's this really clever, we get this flashback before he was a superhero. He was just like a pencil pusher, like just like a bored man, just living like an average corporate office job. Yep. And his first kind of heroic act is he saves a kid from a gigantic crab monster. <laughs> and, you know, he does it in a, you know, spectacular you know, harrowing fashion, and then we cut to him present day in a supermarket just looking at prepackaged crab, and it's like, <laughs> it just hits perfectly, like, it's come to this. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so it seems like there's some, yeah. finally some, they've injected some humor into anime. <laughs> um, that's not just uh, characters uh, gesticulating wildly and having tears stream down their face, and crying exactly. or fawning over other characters. I've, we should probably... Or boobies! Boobies yeah. everywhere! More boobies, please! Yeah. <laughs> We should probably explain our philosophy is that ninety percent of anime is crap and not worth your time. It's pure <laughs> yeah. garbage. I mean, but that ten percent—if you can find those diamonds in the rough, maybe maybe it's worth it. But <laughs> but there's another. It reminded me of another kind of like superhero-themed anime that, um, while a little more straight-faced, does kind of get into the more satirical elements, or at least tries. Um, okay, a twofer. It's called. Yes, a twofer. It's called Tiger and Bunny. Okay. The dumbest title for a dumbest, superhero-themed dumbest anime. Dumbest or greatest. <laughs> I would watch any show. It doesn't even have to be a superhero show. Any show called Tiger and Bunny. About being best friends. And <laughs> So, um, Tiger and Bunny, uh, to set the scene for mm-hmm. you, you know, it's the near future, but human evolution is fine. It's X-Men. It's basically oh, okay, X-Men. Got it. Um, you know, like they call it the next gene, though. Uh, for some reason, superpowers have started manifesting in uh, certain individuals. But instead of going in the 
uh, direction of X-Men where it's like, oh, you know, what does this mean for society? Yeah. It's like... Are they outcasts <laughs> or are they celebrated? You know, do they have too much power? You know, not, none of those philosophical questions are explored, I assume. Uh, not not as in-depth as X-Men because mm-hmm. they have another target. Uh, what happens when superhero individuals start popping up? Corporate sponsors flock in. <laughs> so what happens is to, you know, kind of quell or kind of control this new superhero population, you turn them into celebrities. Mm. And what it, basically it takes place in this place called Hero City where the superheroes are basically now like celebrities and all of their exploits are televised. And there's also seasons, so they're rated on their sco- like rated with a score on how heroic and how good they are. Mm. <laughs> and uh, basically, like there's this whole kind of like it's a show within a show element, and it's really kind of like interesting stuff. I won't say that the show itself kind of captures it to the fullest extent that it can, but you know, it's this interesting satirical point that it's trying to make, where it's like you know superheroes as professional athletes. And uh, our main characters, Tiger and Bunny, they're like these two. Uh, Tiger is kind of like um, a superhero on the wane. His powers are not kind of manifesting in the same way they used to. Mm-hmm. Kind of a metaphor for impotence. <laughs> um, I don't see how, but okay. <laughs> um, and he's paired up with Bunny, who's kind of a rookie. He's kind of a more like kind of upstart. So they pair him together so they can kind of like, you know, uh, you know, so you get a nice little like double act. They both have different philosophies on how you're supposed to be a hero. Bunny's very cerebral. He likes to plan out. It's like, okay, what are we doing next? Yeah. Tiger just runs right in and, you know, hurts himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and, you know, it's, they got a little nice little cabal of characters. And obviously, getting to the satire element of it, when you corporatize uh, the Justice Department, things don't exactly turn out well. I, d- well, <laughs> um, I don't see how, but okay. <laughs> Or at least that would be the point that it would like to try to make, except, like I said, these superheroes have corporate sponsors. And wouldn't you know it, they're all real corporate sponsors. Oh, so, okay. like, sadly, 10% of the show is the people posing perfectly so you can see the Bandai logo or the Lego logo or the Coca-Cola logo. It's... So it's like, on the one hand, it's like, yes, this was a brilliant nugget of idea, but you went too far, right, and now yeah. you're like in that weird Josie and the Pussycats kind of <laughs> element where it's like, are you trying to be like trying to actually make money off this, or are you trying to make it a joke? Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, so it's like, um, it's like that thing in the Matrix uh, Reloaded where <laughs> the system has factored in. Like, yes, we'll laugh at the notion of corporate sponsorship. However, we will still benefit from it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We'll we'll factor that in. So. <laughs> You'll never truly tear down the grand illusion, no. guys. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, those are those are two very interesting shows. And again, they both run about twenty five episodes, so you can you can binge them in a weekend. Okay. Tw- course, whoa, 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 whoa! whoa. Twenty five episodes? You you expect me to binge that in a weekend? <laughs> Greg, what else are you doing? I, lots of things. Oh wait, you've got college football. I've, no, not just on the entertainment scape. I've got a lot of social occasions, a lot of social things to get through. Get to. Sure, Greg. Sure. Yeah, that's yeah. what normal people you've call got them social God occasions. <laughs> I have a gender reveal party yeah. with Stephanie and Brad. <laughs> Indeed, we're gonna we're gonna shoot off fireworks in the in this dry forest region. It'll be delightful. <laughs> I expect to get in a row later. <laughs> <laughs> Outside the local subway. <laughs> There's no subways in LA. <laughs> no, I did, when I said local subway, I went to sandwich shop, bro. Oh, oh, okay, got it, got it, got it. I believe I believe that was another news news peg uh, <laughs> that uh, rankled the Twitterverse. Is uh, how, how could you have a fight at a gender reveal party? Well, America found a way. 
<laughs> well, if you have any great gender reveal parties you want to share with us, why don't oh, you yeah. go follow us on Twitter, mm-hmm. or you can like our Facebook page. Yeah. And keep up to date with all the latest Aspiring Snobs news. Exactly. Tell us all about your your, your little one, um, your little bun <laughs> in the oven. So tell us where you are in the process. Send us ultrasounds. <laughs> And we'll and we'll and we'll and we'll talk about them on air. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you're promising quite a bit, Greg. Um, <laughs> you can also reach out to us directly with your questions, comments, and recommendations at aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. Yeah, and you know, I mean, we've we've done something for you. I hope we've given you an hour of entertainment. Again, I, that's my that's my sincere hope. <laughs> but if you could kindly do something for us. It's you don't have to get a sleeper mattress. <laughs> you don't have to <laughs> enjoy the aspiring snobs branded brain tonic. But what you could do is you can go to your podcast service of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Player FM. Uh, go to the rate and review section. Give us five stars. You know, say hey, I like these guys. They're great. Um, yep. Even if it's not true, even if you don't like us, just you know, <laughs> do us a solid and yeah, help more people, draw more people to the show, and then uh, maybe we can get real sponsors that we actually that we actually appreciate. <laughs> Well, Greg, I think next week we're going to be just flooded with sponsors once they see what all the great content we've got prepared for them. Oh, exactly. Um, if I knew what the next movie was, I would tell you. But... <laughs> Greg, it's going to be a sponsor-driven bonanza because next week we're watching Cool Hand Luke. Getting back to the getting back to the real meat of this show. Um, <laughs> more old white guys, more lions in winter, um, like Robert Redford <laughs> and Paul Newman. <laughs> We've explored enough of them together. Now let's let's see what they're like separate. Exactly. I don't know if Paul Newman ever directed, but um, he was too busy doing Pixar films. I think that was nice. That's what kept him from doing it. <laughs> no, he was he had a hand in 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 salad dresser dressing. <laughs> he had a hand in making sure that the the ranch dressing was absolutely perfect. Mm. He was in Literally test kitchens. T- yeah. <laughs> I picture him with a toothpick, just dipping it every single vat. Like, mm, yeah. no, yeah. not enough sriracha. <laughs> <laughs> this ranch dressing has to be jalapeno yeah. flavored. More white pepper. I don't want to see the pepper flake, but I want that to flavor. So, huge micromanager that guy. <laughs> I mean, his face is on the bottle. What do you expect? I know. Yeah, it's his his face out there. Of course, you know he's going to be committed to it one thousand percent. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Yes, and look for Aspiring Snob's own salad dressing in your <laughs> local grocery store. But until... And make sure you drink your Geritol tonic this week. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and until then, keep your humors happy, keep your blood invigorated, and keep aspiring. <laughs>